Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front. And our guest today is the best-selling author of Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She has spent two decades helping leaders increase competitive differentiation and emotional engagement. I really want to talk about that emotional engagement stuff. That sounds interesting to me. Her work debunks the myth that money is the primary motivation for most employees. She developed the Noble Purpose philosophy after her research revealed that salespeople who sell with Noble Purpose, who truly want to make a difference to their customers, outsell salespeople who focus on their goals and their quotas. She's a former Procter & Gamble sales leader who founded her firm in 2001 and she helps leaders in organizations like Cisco, Roche, Volvo, and Dave & Buster's drive their revenue growth. I want a piece of that Dave & Buster's account so we can play some video games on this uh, podcast. Lisa has keynoted in 25 countries, authored over 2,000 articles. I don't know how you can find the time. She's made appearances on the Today Show, the NBC Nightly News, and her firm's work has been featured in Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, and NPR. The second edition of Lisa's breakout bestseller, Selling with Noble Purpose, is on the newsstands now. It has been released. You got to get that. Please welcome to our podcast, Leading from the Front, Lisa McLeod. Hi, Lisa. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, congratulations. Spoiler alert. I have to tell everybody that the day we are doing this podcast is the day that you released your second edition of Selling with Noble Purpose. I love that. That's great. Congratulations. Thanks. We're really excited about it. So how, how did you come up with this, this idea of, of noble purpose with salespeople? I'm, uh, this, this really strikes a chord with me, having been the vice president of sales and marketing for multiple companies. Uh, it, it, what, what, how did you come up with this? Uh, it was from a study I did with a biotech company. So about a decade ago, a biotech firm hired uh, my firm to study their sales team and identify what differentiated the top performers. So you've been a VP of sales, you know, the difference between the good performers and the bad performers, you can spot that a mile away. Like we know what that is. Those are, you know, product knowledge, the ability to make sales calls, all those things. But what's harder to put your finger on is the difference between the good and the exceptional. And that's what they wanted to know. So we were out in the field, worked with all these salespeople, did all the usual assessments, how many calls, how many questions, et cetera. And we were near the end of the study. And I had this conversation with this one sales representative at the Phoenix airport before I was about to get out of the car. I asked her, what do you think about when you go on sales calls? If this is a biotech company. She said, you know what? I always think about this one patient, this one grandmother who came up to me one day and saw my name badge and said, thank you for giving me my life back. She said, I think about her every day. That's my higher purpose. And so it was this one conversation triggered something in me. 
And what I went on to discover when I started studying the interviews that of all the people in this biotech company that we'd work with, it was a blind study. I found five people who were alluding to this sense of what we now call noble purpose, this feeling of something bigger than themselves, bigger than the sales numbers. At the end of the study, the biotech company said, who do you think our top performers are? I said, I think it's these five. And I was right. Wow. And that was the start. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about this philosophically and theoretically all the time, don't we, about people that sell with heart. Yeah, not just their head, right? And this is the same the same idea with noble purpose. But so you, but let's let's go back. Let's go back in your history and talk about your noble purpose and how you started. You you worked for Procter and Gamble, as did I. We were in different areas of the business. I worked in manufacturing, and I was told I should be in sales, which I was an engineer. You don't go into sales as an engineer. And of course, what do I do now? I I sell. Okay, let's not worry about that. <laughs> but let's talk about your history and how you. You know, what What were some of the defining moments for you moving up to starting your own business and really, you know, really learning early, the, the early days of Lisa? Okay. Yeah. So I'll cite two incidents. Uh, one, when I was 14 years old and I had a job at the Donut King in Arlington, Virginia, and um, I was finally skilled enough to where the owner left for a couple hours to go over to his other Donut King, leaving me at the helm of Donut King. You, and, so you were, the, you were the supervisor at 14. Oh yeah, of myself because yeah. it's a small place. <laughs> and so I'm all excited. And so on this particular shift, firemen came in. And cleaned us out, but all the donuts. I went in the back, I got more donuts, cleaned us out, and paid cash, you know, as you did back in the day. Right. And so I remember this is my first job. I remember the owner, Mr. Kiln. I might be saying his name wrong. He was um from Vietnam, first generation. He comes back and he goes, How'd the day go? And I'm just sitting there waiting. And I go, Pretty good. And he opens the cash register and I watch him counting out the money. And I, and I just, he looked at me and I just thought he was going to cry. You know, we never sold that many donuts. And that was like probably the first time in my life that I connected the idea. It wasn't just the money because I was an hourly employee, but it was the idea that something you did could produce money, could change a business and, and that there was a connection there. That was probably the first time in my life that it, upon, you know how things are clear upon reflection? Yeah. It became clear. Yep. And another but it's based pivot- on a feeling, right? It was that, that moment mm-hmm. and that, that, that pride and, and getting to see his face. And, right. and I, and I, and, and seeing that business owner that let's face it, we're in business to make money, you know, all the other things, you know, are there, but for, for a small business owner, that's huge. Oh, it was huge. And I look back as an adult now, and I know these are two like struggling donut shops, first generation immigrant. He leaves this 14 year old in charge. It tells you how desperate he was. But, but there was, <laughs> there was another moment. And I tell this story in the new edition of the book. And mm. it's a combination of two moments, actually. I was working for P&G, which is a fine company, and I was on a management track. And this guy's trying to recruit me for this little bitty sales consulting company. And he looks at me in the interview. I'm thinking, why would I do this? I can't believe I even went to the interview. You know, I'm on this management track with P&G and this guy from this little bitty $6 million company is like, come work for us. And we're sitting in the interview and he looks at me and he says, well, do you think if you left P&G, anybody would even care? 
And I thought about how many people were there. And I thought, well, maybe my boss. And he goes, do you think their sales would miss a beat? And I was like, "Mm, probably not. And then he said, or do you want to come work for us? Where every single day we change people's lives and you can be the star. And I was like, I can be the star in changing people's (laughs) lives. I can do both. Oh, my God. So I left. And what's interesting is I work for this company. We brought in a million bucks of new revenue, which is huge for a $6 million company as recurring revenue. Yeah. But my boss left about a year and a half later, and the new leader um, didn't talk about changing people's lives, didn't talk about how our programs are making a difference. And again, I, I was in my you know late 20s, so I'm, this mm-hmm. is upon reflection. All he talked about was hitting the numbers. And within six months, I could feel my enthusiasm waning. And I was like the top, you know, performer. And by that point, I was a VP of sales. And I realized that when that leader is talking about how we make a difference, it creates such a different tribe of people than when that leader is talking about hit the number, hit the number. And so those two, you know, moments were really turning points for me that led to the studies that I ended up doing. And, and we now have beyond that just initial study that I did with the pharma company, we have hard data that tells us that salespeople that sell with noble purpose, who truly want to make a difference to their customers, outsell salespeople who are focused on targets and quotas. Yeah. So there's a lot of things to unpack on that, but one of the biggest things that I hear you saying is, is as you think back on the change in leadership We've heard this many, many times. People don't leave companies. They leave their boss. It's the same company. You really, it was, you, you loved it. It was a great company. You really enjoyed it. Change leadership, change focus, change what they're, what they stand for. And you're looking at the door. <laughs> That's exactly it. And, and so what happens is the thing that I see now is you have a certain percentage of people, the top 10%, the data tells us, who have this sense of noble purpose, who are focused on making a difference to customers. But then you have the malleable middle, who are Mm. good people, who want to do a good job, who want to do what the boss tells them to, who want to be successful. But the noble purpose is not innate to them. You have to point them. And so I guess looking back, I was maybe I was part of the malleable middle because without a boss there to tell me, this is how we make a difference. Let's talk about how we're changing these customers. Let's talk about how we're improving them. When my new boss only wanted to talk about the numbers, I sort of lost my mojo. So how, so you've got this malleable middle. How do yeah. we get the malleable middle to become aware of the noble purpose? Well, when I first did that study, I went back to the biotech company and I said, I think these are your top performers. And I was right. And the one representative who'd said, that's my higher purpose. She was the number one in the country. So I go back to this group of biotech executives. For, the, for those of you who might not know, in a biotech company is generally run by scientists and finance people. So that's who mm-hmm. I'm talking to. And I say, right. she had this different story in her heart. And these top performers had a different feeling. <laughs> and, and that went know, over well, didn't it? Right. Real, blank really blank well. stairs. <laughs> well, I picked the top five. So they think I'm some kind of ma- You're magician. Brilliant. You're brilliant. And, but now the next word's coming out of my mouth. They're like, feelings, emotion. Oh, my God. We're a science company. Higher purpose. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, I got a little bit of traction, but what I didn't realize, I knew in the moment, if I can decode this, 
if I can get a methodology for this, it's magic. Yep. What I didn't know in that moment is it would take a decade <laughs> to do it. But there is a series of things that you can do. And the first thing you have to do as an organization is decide what your noble purpose is. Right. And how you're going to make a difference to customers. And so in the book, we list all kinds of companies. And it's everything from a bank that said, our noble purpose is we fuel prosperity to, you know, a concrete company that said, our noble purpose is we're going to redefine our industry. So the wordsmithing part is part of it, but it's only the start. The, the wordsmithing part just allows us to communicate it. That's right. But you have to. So when I, when I asked the question, I'm going to back up. I said, yeah. you know, how do you do this? How do you, how do you get the, the malleable middle? And I love that, by the <laughs> way, if I can say it, the malleable middle. And how do we do this? It's through leadership. And that, we're, we're on a podcast right now, leading from the front. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. I'll have people say, well, yeah, but our leadership, I'm like, I'm not talking about your leadership. I'm talking about you. What are you doing to help first yourself understand what your noble purpose is, which we have in step one of our seven steps of intentional leadership is purpose. Wow. And the first component of that is personal mission. That really helps us understand what do I stand for? What's important to me and what are my values so that I can then find an organization that matches what will fit with me. Right. And I have to tell you very quickly um, that I had that moment when I was in sales and I had just made a, a sale for a smaller company, just like you did, that was 10% of their annual revenue. Mm -hmm. And everybody was like all excited and everything. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I it's just like, and I had a, a inside sales piece person come up to me and I'd only been with the company three weeks. And she came up to me and she says, can you help me? And I'm like, with what? And she says, well, you're, uh, I, I've been here for six months. They're going to fire me. I haven't sold anything. You know, can you help me? And I said, uh, well, sure, I, I bet I can help you for a whole week because I just sold, you know, one of the biggest deals I ever had in the company. They'll let me do what I want. So I'll help you. Right. So I sat down with her and we worked on her scripts. We worked on her phone uh, voice. We worked on her phrasing. We worked on a whole bunch of stuff. And by Thursday of the next week, she made a $10,000 sale. And we're, st we're in this cubicle, jumping up and down, giving high fives. I was more excited about that $10,000 sale than I was for 10% of uh, the revenue for the company. That's when I knew absolutely mm -hmm. that my, my role in life was sales leadership, not sales. You tapped into something really powerful. Human beings are hardwired for it. Once we get beyond food and shelter, we want connection. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So we want that sense of belonging and we want significance. We want to make a difference. We want to know we matter. And so when you recalibrate to that, and for the seller, it's making a difference to the customer. That's the key. And so what we've seen is you talk about the malleable middle. There are some things as a leader you can do. First is name and claim your noble purpose. Then the next thing you need to do is activate it with your frontline leaders. And what that means is, you see, people create a transactional business because numbers are the default. Everything in the current system will pull you to, what are the sales numbers? What are the production numbers? When are we going to hit this? Everything will pull you internally. But if you want to create a differentiated organization, you want to shift the focus elsewhere. And everything is driven towards and measured against how are we improving the lives of our customers? Because that's mm -hmm. where the money and the meaning come together. Yeah. 
That's how you create a differentiated organization. So for example, you look at Blockbuster. We all know what happened to them. Blockbuster leaders. Yeah, Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the, the thinking, the traditional thinking is Netflix out-innovated them. That's not where it started. Where it started was Blockbuster was sitting in a room saying, how can we make more money off our existing stores? Netflix was sitting in a room saying, how can we deliver amazing entertainment? Right. One company was looking internally. One was looking externally. In the book, we use the example of uh, Monster.com, who, quote, got out innovated by LinkedIn and Indeed. Monster was looking at, you can trace their town mm -hmm. halls, the case study we use. All the conversation, so leaders should ask this. When you look at the town halls of Monster, the public records show all the conversation was, how much money are we making? How are we going to make more money? How are we going to improve our share price? If that is 90% of your conversation, you're about to be beaten by your competition. That's right. Because somebody right. else is in a room saying, how can we improve life for customers? So one of the things we do when we work with companies is we look at the transcripts of their meetings. And if you're over 50% talking about yourself, you were in the danger zone. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. In fact, uh, there's so much historical information on this. And sometimes I kind of wonder why we don't get it. And my example in the past was the, the railroads back in the 1800s were in the railroad business. And because they were myopically in the railroad business mm -hmm. and they had a ton of money, they could have taken over every other area of transportation, trucking, automobiles, everything, airplanes, all of it. They could have taken it all over if they had a perspective, a purpose of transportation, a broader perspective right. of trying to transport people and materials around the country rather than thinking we're a railroad. And that's one that people can really I think, grasp historically. It happens all the time. What, like I, uh, So one of the things I wanted to mention to you is what, what you were talking about, about taking care of our physical and security needs and so on is, is based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And that's actually been proven to be wrong mm -hmm. at this point because they've, they've done a lot of psychological studies on this said the single most important human need is what you're talking about. It's a sense of belonging and people will put aside security and personal needs and food and other things to be able to get that sense of belonging. So they, they've actually redefined the model yeah. and it's a circle with belonging in the middle and everything else on the outside. And, and at the core of this, what you're talking about, it's the same thing. It's a noble purpose. It's being able to have something that's important to me that I can contribute significantly to an organization. And it's something bigger and, than myself. We look at every time a small, nimble team, whether you want to go from the Americans beating the British to Netflix taking over Blockbuster to you know the inroads that Apple made against Microsoft, whatever you want to pick, it was always a, what we call them the tribe of true believers who believed in a cause bigger than themselves. And they will beat a higher resource team every time. Every time. So I want to I want to point something else out that you said that I don't want people to miss because this is really important. Whenever we have a, a shift and we're trying to create a noble purpose or a true mission in an organization with a, a bigger meaning, people say it's got to start from the top. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I and I agree with that. It's got to start from the top. But the next step in what you said was is to go to the first line supervisors. Mm -hmm. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. That's where the real change occurs. Everybody else in the middle is going to have to come along eventually. But what I said, what I heard you say is going to those frontline managers. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that and how you go about doing that with a, a larger company and the frontline managers. So it's crucial. 
Because what we tend to think about is we tend to think about language cascading down from the top. And the language is important, but we say is instead of thinking of cascading, what you want to think about instead is igniting, activating. So you're not trying to cascade, you're trying to activate something. And so what we'll do with middle leaders is the purpose comes from the top. I'll tell you in a second about some companies we've done where it actually started in the middle, but but in the best implementation, it comes from the top. And so then what you have to do is if I'm sitting here, if our purpose, I'll use this bank, for example, we fuel prosperity. That's their purpose. It's on their website, Atlantic Capital Bank. After they implemented this, they were on the cover of American Banker because what they did was they got all of their employees emotionally engaged. So if I'm sitting here in loans, if I'm sitting here in bank operations, if I'm sitting here in, you know, commercial, wherever I'm sitting, what I need to do, and we created a whole program for their mid-managers, how does my department, how do my activities fuel prosperity for the customers? It has to draw a direct line. And then we went one step further and we said, what does prosperity mean to you? And people started mm-hmm. to come forth with stories about, oh my gosh, my parents were broke. It was terrible. Oh my gosh, I watched my sister's husband lose his job. Like, so w- what we did was we got an emotional attachment to the topic. And oh, by the way, we did this with a concrete company too. So it's not just banking. Mm-hmm. An emotional attachment to the topic and clarity about how your job improves life for customers. Because if you're not clear on that, you don't have a good way to make decisions when your boss isn't in the room. Yeah. 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 So you, you, you give them the verbiage, you give them the language and you start with that language and get their understanding of it by asking them to define what prosperity is and then make the connection. And here's the thing I think that really connects this whole topic to leadership. Because I believe it's the leadership's, the leader's responsibility, and as many people that can demonstrate this as possible, but it's the leader's responsibility, as I say, to connect the dots yes. between the individual and the definition of the noble purpose. Because most people really struggle with seeing how they connect what they're doing with that that noble purpose. So I, I can just I can just see the bank president or the branch. The branch manager walking in and walking up to a teller and saying, so let me ask you a question. How have you fueled prosperity in this bank today? And they're, it's like you shake them out of yeah. like a trance, right? And they go, well, I, I, I go, no, take, take five minutes, think about that and come into my office and tell me how you fueled prosperity. And it, it connects that purpose every single minute every day. to people's thoughts and behaviors. Yeah. And so if you think about it, that's exactly what they did. And we had them draw impact maps because if I can't connect my job somehow to improving life for customers, then, then why do we have this job at the bank? You know, we went back and we looked at all their big exhaustive project lists and we said, which one of these are going to make a bigger difference to customers? We crossed off half the list. Because because that's how you get that focused organization, because what Noble Purpose does is it helps you win the hearts and minds of your people so that they can win the hearts and minds of your customers. It informs your strategy and that it enables you to decide what to say yes to and what to say no to. So when you've got every single person in the bank has a clear line back to how they make a difference to customers, then what we do is in the managers and meetings, will say, who's got a noble purpose story for me? And every meeting starts off with a story. So even if I'm having a crappy day, somebody else is at least doing it. I can, okay, we're not, we're not bad. I've had a bad day, but we're still in uh-huh. an organization. 
somebody's doing something good. So let me ask you when, when, when you, when you've gone in and done this and I, I know that there's going to be some highly, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, in a biotech firm, you've got scientists, you've got accountants, uh, you know, I mean, I have a degree in, engin- in mechanical and metallurgical engineering. I mean, I, you know, I know how this mind works and it doesn't work from the heart quite often. And we have to kind of learn that. So how do you, what do you do with certain people that go, you know, I got Lisa, you know, this noble purpose crap. <laughs> it's, it's, what, it's just a bunch of crap. Come on. I, I just, I come here every day and I work hard. I do my job and I do a good job. I do a really good job. Look at my results. What do you do with them? So first of all, the data doesn't lie. Companies with a purpose bigger than money outperform the market by over 350%. Salespeople that have a noble purpose sell bigger deals, they sell stickier deals, and they put forth more effort over time, and they're more resilient. If the data doesn't convince you, then I ask this. Who's going to be a better parent? A parent who wakes up every day and says, I get the meals on the table on time. I get them to school. I provide for them. I do a good job. Or a parent who says, my noble purpose is to raise future leaders. And I'm going to raise people of discipline, compassion, empathy, strength, and resilience. And every day I'm going to wake up to figure out how I can raise people like that. Who would you trust your kids to? Well, unfortunately, (laughs) half the parents, I'm not not going to go there. So maybe I'll swap it out and say teacher. And so the idea, but you're, but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's because when you have that purpose, when you have that in your, in your, your heart, your soul, and your mind every day, you're going to behave differently. You do behavior. This is the thing that people get so frustrated with in business. We tend to focus on lagging metrics and it doesn't happen by design. It happens by default because lagging metrics are easy to see the revenue, the profit. Those are lagging metrics. What's a little bit behind that might be your win rate and uh, customer churn rates are a little bit behind that. But when you get behind that, it's behavior behavior of your Mm -hmm. people. And that's within your control. And what we know is that belief drives behavior. Logic makes you think, emotions makes you act. And so if you can shift the beliefs of your people, which we have a a way to do it, took a decade, but through storytelling, through reward and recognition, through the, you know, the marketing, then the company narrative, if you can shift the beliefs of your people, that drives different behavior, which produces completely different results. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's some awesome stuff. So here's here's my my final question for you. This is exciting, but okay, here's my final, final question. question that I always like to ask. Are you ready? So if you could write Lisa a letter and send it back to you 20 to 25 years ago, what would you tell Lisa? Because you don't know about the noble purpose stuff yet. 25 years ago, you didn't know that. So you're writing yourself a letter. What would you say? I would say pay attention to how you think and feel and pay mm. attention to your hunches. That your your intuition Ooh. is right on, and let it guide you. Pay attention to those moments where your intuition is telling you something, and even if it goes against the grain of what you think is happening, go further. That's what I would say. You know, it's interesting because they have done a lot of studies on this with intuition. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
And if people say, well, I just, I meet somebody and I've got this intuition. They're just not, doesn't feel right. Right. Well, there's more to it than that because we have a level of energy that we share with each other. And when somebody's holding back, you can feel that holding back. So you tend to not trust the person because something's not being revealed. Right. So again, that's intuition. But what you started with is pay attention, pay attention. We call it awareness. It's being aware. And we actually do executive uh, meditation. We work with people to become more aware because the problem with a lack of awareness is a lack of control of our brain. Yeah. We are so out of control that it's going, 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 and we never slow it down and we never stop the chatter. So that gets in the way of us being able to hear ourselves, mm-hmm. be aware of ourselves, and then hear the intuition. You know, we can't hear it when the, when the mind is chattering, right? Or the other thing that happens to me, and I know happens to a lot of women, I heard the intuition, but it didn't match what I was seeing in the world. So I thought it was wrong. Uh-huh. And so you heard it and you thought, well, it seems like there, there's some emotions at play here that people aren't talking mm-hmm. about. And, you, and, and I could kind of feel them. But then I didn't have the confidence or the experience to say, Let's talk about this thing. (laughs) Now I'll call it right out. But that's what, if I could go back to my younger self, I would say that you're, that my, I would tell 29 year old Lisa, your intuition, your empathy, your ability to feel what other people are feeling. That's a gift. Lean into it. Don't smother it. Lean into it. That's a gift. Yeah. At the very least, pay attention to it, like you said, and investigate it. Don't, because what we do is suppress it, right? Don't push it away. Don't suppress it, investigate it. That's great stuff. Well, Lisa, uh, I think our, our, unfortunately our time is up. We could go for several days here because we went from, from donuts to dollars. (laughs) And I think that's what we're going to call this a noble purpose from donuts to dollars. And uh, (laughs) I just came up with that. I like it. So uh, I really appreciate your, your time and, and sharing with us, uh, this concept is very near and dear to my heart in the work that we do with organizations to identify purpose. And I always bring up the, the example of my uh, favorite client, Baker Roofing Company. I mean, people say it's a roofing company, right? Just a, it's like a concrete company, right? Right. Try here's living their, without a roof. <laughs> here's, here's their noble purpose. Always good work. Nice. And, and it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what the mission says, what the value says, what the goals are, what the, it doesn't, when I work with them and I've been working with them over 12 years now, I can walk into a meeting and I'm like, how does that define always good work? And you'll get this blank look on people's face and they'll stop and they go, Oh, oh. Uh, sorry, Dr. Gary. Well, yeah. well, let's back up and try again. That's good. That's good. So. Because it, it acts as the North star. And I think what's yes. interesting is a lot of people are talking about purpose lately but sales is sort of the last hurrah. Sales is where the money and the meaning comes together. And if you can activate purpose in sales, that's how you create a brand that really lasts. And that's how you create true differentiation when you can activate it your salespeople. Well, that's, that's some awesome, awesome stuff, Lisa. And I want to thank you for being a star guest. Your new book is coming out. Uh, the, well, the new version, the new edition of your book, Noble Purpose is uh, coming out and we look forward to reading it and seeing it. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you. I'm Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for listening to leading from the front where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Be well and be safe. Take care. 
Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>